Well, we are back today, OCL History Podcast, and we are in year nine, uh, spring two, discussing revolution in China. And person behind the inquiry, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Hello. It's Josh, but different Josh, but also mm. at Shirley Park, Josh, which might be confusing for a few people. Uh, mm-hmm. But Josh, you are um, the resident, one of the resident experts on China in the trust. Um, and you've planned this uh, inquiry. Um, do you want to tell us about it? What is the inquiry um, and kind of why is it in our curriculum? Awesome. So, yeah, I know it's a bit confusing, the two Joshes. We have a <laughs> Josh 1, Josh 2 system at Shirley Park and I have... Of course, Josh one. Um, <laughs> Josh Spence is Josh two. Um, so yeah, the inquiry. Uh, so uh, interesting that you call me a resident specialist. Uh, so my <laughs> degree is in uh, Chinese and Chinese history. Um, it's now a tenth year of studying Chinese language. Um, so I've always really found Chinese culture absolutely fascinating, and history is definitely one of those stems that has really intrigued me. Uh, the way I describe Chinese history to my students is that Chinese history is just constantly full of like the superlatives of history. So the biggest, the baddest, the <laughs> silliest and you know just things like that. Um, and so Chinese history has always been a really big part of my education. Um, and so I was like well there's no Chinese history to make that happen. Uh, so when I came into teaching I was like yeah we should make a Chinese inquiry. Um, and so focused on uh, Maoist China because it chronologically fit quite well uh, with the rest of year nine uh, and also it's a major event that uh, has repercussions today uh, and similar to how there's a focus on Russia and its revolution and uh, how that's quite relevant to today's geopolitical climate like similar with China where if uh, kids from Oasis can leave school with a good foundational knowledge of why China is kind of the way it is now um, then that's super useful um, so I was like ah put students together oh my goodness that's my how are we going to edit around that we might just leave it in, Josh, to be honest. Uh, yeah. If you can hear this, that's because uh, we're very lazy. So. <laughs> yep, um, and we work in schools full of wonderful distractions. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I thought the inquiry would be great. And so I, when I saw that it hadn't been planned, I put my hand up and was just like, oh, can I help out? Um, and then Rob said, no, you can do it. So, uh, <laughs> that's what yeah, uh, and I think if we introduce the, the inquiry question is, how did Mao's revolution mm-hmm. resonate across China? Because I think one of those things is obviously actually quite a few kind of, you know, it's my sort of very brief uh, knowledge of, of Chinese history that there's quite a few revolutions that essentially mm. you could come under that but going for Mao's revolution um, and as you said kind of chronologically it fits into the curriculum students kind of just studied kind of World War II um, mm. and also the World War II inquiry has kind of focused its attention into Asia as well mm. um, and it's kind of set up some of these things like the first lesson in this inquiry is kind of setting up the idea of um, well, across Chinese history, the different kind of things that have happened to it, including Japanese imperialism um, and stretching back before that as well. And our students have encountered China before. Um, currently, and I won't have done it. But for example, the Mongols in year seven, um, you know, features that kind of expansion and kind of invasion of, of China. Um, the British Empire unit in year eight talks about kind of opium wars um, and Britain going into into China. Uh, the uh, World War Two inquiries, the Japan going into China. We've actually done a lot of invasions of of China which does set up this inquiry quite quite well I think Mm. um but then yeah we've chosen this kind of how did Mao's revolution resonate across China why Mm. was that an interesting way to 
like a lens to to look at this revolution mm-hmm. through. Well, it was interesting when I saw my students' reaction to uh, resonance as a uh, contributing part of significance in the Jarrah Crusade um, inquiry. And uh, it's interesting how in big H history, it's very easy to just talk about the motives of countries, whereas, and you know, nation states and governments and empires and things like that. Whereas I think resonance brings it down to more of a personal level. And so talking about how Mao's revolution resonated across China, it really taps into how it made people feel, which I think is, you know, a really big part of ensuring that students leave history with a degree of empathy, um, rather than just like a knowledge of big H history. Um, so I thought uh, resonance focus was pretty useful um, for those reasons. Um, and yeah, and the rest of the questions about Mao's revolution, which is naturally, as I said, the biggest, the baddest and <laughs> craziest of all the revolutions on planet Earth. So that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, no, and I think the one thing we talked about, and I like you said, that the beginning of year nine, especially, is that kind of, um, you know, we do call, we do causes of, of World War One, mm-hmm. the, the the cost of World War One, and we kind of problematize that, and it's kind of this big, you know, geopolitical countries mm-hmm. doing things, whilst zooming in a little bit to see like what happens to the people, and you know, when we're looking at the, the cost of World War One, for example, we look at the cost to, to Russia and it, you know, the the communist revolution there, but that's kind of one lesson touching upon that communism this dives deeper into kind of that that communism you know and, and what similarities and potential differences with it but it's narrative driven through the lens of the people as you were saying right mm. that it's not this isn't just kind of like big picture drills down into you know a particular like family and follows mm. follows them through Little leeway, that revolution yeah. yeah and i think i think that's one of the really nice things when you're you know right from the right from the off it's not just like you saying this is how peasants felt you know mm. just an amorphous group and saying this is it it's actually doing that thing of these really fleshed out people and there's lovely details in the anthology about reaching for the sweet potato and it mm. freezes onto the ground as soon as it's there you know that that hardship of the life of kind of like like rural uh, like chinese peasants like mm. comes across in that in that anthology mm. and i think that's a really important part of this that it can seem big question, but that idea of resonate and actually how people felt about uh, this is kind of um, like revolution is really important. And one of the things I really like about the inquiry, and we kind of talked a lot about this as um, you're kind of planning it, is almost setting students up to be able to answer that question, the inquiry question every lesson and saying, well, we're done, aren't we? Great. And then saying, well, actually, maybe it's a bit more complicated than than that so i guess what's the complexity that gets introduced because at the end of the first lesson maybe you're yeah. just saying right well it resonates because every all peasants wanted it and mm-hmm. they're 80 percent. so how does it get more complex as mm. we go through that's a really good question because yeah that is the idea is that they leave the end of lesson one like, oh great we know how Mao's uh, revolution resonated <laughs> across china but the entire point of the inquiry i guess is for them to look at an answer that they've written and then think oh no I can do one step better I think that's a really good skill and a good culture to be embedding in our students uh where you know lesson two or lesson three whatever it is when they're looking at urban China you're like oh we've the question actually says how did Mao's revolution resonate across all of China so we can't really stop at 80 percent because there's another 20 percent of people that we need to look at um and then once we look at that 20 percent we can say okay so we kind of looked at 100 percent 
But wait a second, if you think about it, men and women <laughs> had really different experiences of the revolutions. We can't really stop there either. Now, obviously, the huge limitation of this is that we could keep on going and going and going. We yeah. have to stop somewhere, and we did stop with the lives of women. Um, but the idea is just that they keep on looking at their work and think, no, I can do better. I can I can write even more detail in. Um, and so the idea of complexity and the, again, which I think secondary history can fall into the trap of, like, just this happened to this people right. you know very black and white history <laughs> but kind of leaving the essay that they write at the end still thinking you know you can't really describe how Mao's revolution resonated across China in a you, you would in a sentence you probably have to do some sort of massive research project on it um yeah I think that's a nice place for them to leave and to be happy and satisfied with the fact that history is complicated and you know that's actually quite nice for them to that's a very rare thing I think for them to be able to get yeah, and I think that one of the, the key things I've kind of thought about quite a lot is um, that I think you put you said where do you leave it because mm. you can go down an endless rabbit hole and then it, then history becomes quite difficult as well because you're saying well if you know generalizations don't work at all what's the point in doing them but mm. obviously actually being able to do give some sort of generalization does help us to put them together uh, and mm. I often think that about periods of history you're talking about medieval mm. history you know as well, well the medieval period's really diverse lots of different things you know things, things take place well we could get rid of that title of medieval history but then actually how do we possibly kind of give mm. any framework to anything yeah and actually it's all about that kind of fading from one to the other and not mm, seeing the harsh good. barriers and so yeah where, where this inquiry kind of leaves off isn't it it's like talking about peasants and then it um there you go so our, our bell kicking in now beautiful um it'll go again in three minutes time what more could we want um and it's that idea of like right we've set them up with kind of like peasantry actually all mm -hmm. the peasants kind of want this because of the situation they're in great it resonates with everyone oh wait no that they're 80 percent let's look at the urban scenario well actually this revolution doesn't really resonate with them and focusing on that really kind of core concept as you said of um the second order concept here of, of significance and saying well mm -hmm. what does resonate mean why is it valuable or important to these people and saying actually that's quite different depending on kind of the geography of where people are in china and, and the lives they they had previously that level of complexity and then going one step further and then saying actually that's also not the only distinction we can we can make and saying actually let's look at the the lives of men and women and see if there's a distinction there as mm -hmm. well and those kind of yeah, building those layers of complexity, not throwing that at students all at once, but mm -hmm. letting them feel like, oh, we've answered this and saying, no, actually, there's a there's an issue here with that kind of generalization. Let's problematize it a bit more um, and, and building those mm. kind of things up, which I think works really well. And as you said, with that second order concept, they've, they've done it in the Jared Crusade and they've, they've mm. thought about it there in relation to kind of two of the other, like ours as, as well. But here it's that's the one that's driving it. So they should already have some understanding of, of resonance. And then we're talking about what does that actually mean to these different people in, in China at the time. And um, maybe we should talk about the end product of this sure. as well, because you said an essay, but actually the end product, I, I really like this. So it's, well, let's take our knowledge and then let's go and like, put this in relation to some sources and say actually yeah. well do these sources to do with the, the revolution do they actually um accurately reflect what was going on and you know they're, they're, they're propaganda as well which we kind of have you know, talked a bit about so what's the end product and why is it the the way it is the form it is sure uh, so in terms of the end product um lesson five is that source-based question uh that source-based lesson sorry uh lesson six uh there is a write-up if you want to do it if you don't want to do it and you feel satisfied by the sources then just leave it at the sources um but uh chinese modern chinese history is 
uh, very unique in the amount of propaganda and visual material it produced um, because of its very illiterate population. It needed to have like a lot of good visually stimulating propaganda to get these messages of revolution across. Um, and so Chinese propaganda is beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and uh, most people who study Chinese history have to study Chinese propaganda because I said it was how people got information around. Um, and so I thought, well, let's get three of them and we're going to see, do they accurately represent how Mao's revolution resonated across China? So they're using their own knowledge and being able to argue with historical sources, um, which is quite nice. And also I, I get asked this quite a lot about from year seven and eight students, which is, <laughs> so did this actually happen? Like if we're doing right. as Constantinople, <laughs> like, how do you know this really happened? I'm like, yeah. Oh, I don't know how to answer that. So explicitly telling them, we all know this stuff happened because of stuff that's been left behind. Either that's like all stories or if it's actual objects or books or whatever, it's because of sources. And so being able to tell them we actually know what happened because of these sources is actually quite nice. It's a nice place to uh, talk about that. So, yeah, the end product is looking at these sources and being like, OK, they are partially accurate. They do tell us some useful stuff that would be good for a historian. Um but also they have some inaccuracies uh, and some things that are misleading. Uh, there is an overlap. So some of the stuff that's misleading is also very useful because it tells us what the government wanted everyone <laughs> to feel, right. whereas, you know, the people didn't actually feel that way. And so that's quite useful as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, again, more complexity. Uh, again, saying about how things are not only just accurate or inaccurate, but a bit in the middle, um, which most of them were. Uh, and, yeah, they get a chance to look at some really nice posters, which is yeah, I think the the visual aspect is is really great. They're they're like really striking, you know. And you mm. said that 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 the kind of visual stuff, the the, the even the color in them and the the representation mm. is is really clear. And it's it's I think what you probably get from it, as you said, is like depending on the question you ask of it. And this is probably where we want to go with students with source, especially in nine. Depends mm. on the question you ask of it. Its usefulness is not set. It depends mm. on what you're asking of it. It's like, That's is true. it useful for learning like exactly what the life of people in, you know, in rural China was like? Well, maybe not, or exactly how they felt. No, because if you look at the images, everyone's smiling and, and happy. Mm. Men and women are smiling and happy, and it gives mm. this idea that yes, it probably did resonate with all of them because everyone in it is smiling. But through the uh, course of the inquiry, we've learned that that's not the case, or it's different for different people. Mm. But as you said, then if you're looking at the purpose and say, well, actually, there's a reason it's like that. Why would the government want to portray it in this in this way? And the introduction of that term, you know, propaganda, we can't come back to. And um, mm. it's one of those kind of core vocab that's, that's taught as part of the unit, actually exploring that purpose and saying, yeah, mm. utility comes down to the question you ask of the source. Mm. It's not a set property of it. Mm. And that's what we want. And that's often the issue, I think, when you get through to GCSE with the like, mm. how useful are these sources? Well, so it depends what, what what question you ask but you know again rather than just a it's useful it's not useful yeah no and getting students to wrestle with that and think a bit about who's produced them why they've been produced and then also the the elements of them i think is great and as you said then there's that, that write up at the end where you can put this down but they've done that really kind of critical thinking through those um yeah they've done all the, the work already the sources as well yeah. yeah i think one of the things I, I just want to come back to maybe um we, we talked a bit about it but like it's this really focused in in people and it kicks off mm -hmm. like the first one of the first things they're doing in lesson one is is reading about Lee Wen um mm -hmm. why did you choose that that narrative and that individual to frame kind of this uh good question uh so I really liked how year seven quite a lot of year seven curriculum has a lot of people focused um not exactly one person they follow throughout the entirety of an inquiry I think that's fairly new I don't know if that's happened yet but uh, I really like the people focused um 
narrative of year seven material in particular because the kids are so engaged and they really get invested in that like same as how they get invested in the Netflix drama, drama or whatever, because, you know, it's one person's <laughs> life that's going up and down and, you know, you get invested in that person. Um, and so I thought that would be quite useful in terms of getting them on side. Uh, in terms of why I chose Lee Wen, Lee Wen is a uh, mostly fictional character. Lots of the narratives we use in the inquiry are real stories, but obviously not Lee Wen's stories. Uh, so it's kind of like a, um, a faction, so a fact fiction so she didn't actually uh it, Lee Wen had, wasn't like a well she probably was you know even being called Lee Wen yeah, yeah. Village, but you know <laughs> like uh her stories are stories of real people but putting them as one person I think was quite useful in terms of getting them on side um and also as a woman it's you know I don't think we've really focused enough so far in OCL history on the lives of women uh explicitly um and so having a female figure that they could follow along i think um is very useful and it's very nice for them to see history through uh, a woman's perspective uh, which i think definitely lacks in quite a lot of the curriculum um and also it's very useful later on when we talk about the lives of women and yeah. how they're impacted by <laughs> yeah, we said we that's see, yeah, also extremely convenient um yeah. and as a rule woman as well um i think yeah, because we set most of the inquiries in rural China. So again, a rural person is a very convenient person to choose as well. And that's where all the stories are actually quite interesting is rural China. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think generally just Li Wen's very useful. She's very convenient in terms of being uh, links to quite a lot of the aspects of the inquiry. Um, but yeah, it's also very engaging for the students to have someone to follow along. Yeah, and I think that's the key to having that narrative that runs throughout. And and I think it, I think that's really important for for teachers to know actually when they're teaching it that obviously like Lee Wen is a character based on lots of real stories mm-hmm. brought together for the um to aid students, but that it's not a historical you know like a historical mm-hmm. thing they're going to go research that, and that's really important because there's probably maybe some people saying well actually like they disagree with that you know and disagree with yes. they're doing that which which you know some people might have that opinion i think i'm planning some of the migration stuff at the moment and one of the narratives i'm looking at is the um to get them engaged is the viking landing at lindisfarne the, the raid mm-hmm. on lindisfarne and i just thought like actually naming someone in that connects might connect students to it more rather than having a figure with no name but obviously mm. I, I can't find any recorded names maybe i'm looking in the wrong place that i can't find any recorded names of mm. the actually vikings who, who took part in that so mm. at the moment i've chosen to give them a name and i think those are some really interesting kind of aside from this just just this inquiry there's mm. some really interesting conversations or points where we make deliberate decisions decisions about doing that it's not that we're lazy it's not that that we're, we're toying with it and we're wrestling with it and we wonder is it the right thing or not but actually for the kind of sake of the, the inquiry and getting students to grip like to mm. grasp things and kind of like we were talking about earlier where do you let le- like let students off and say well we're not going to delve any deeper here they might mm-hmm. pick it up somewhere elsewhere um mm. that you know they, they might kind of find find that out later on of like they could research Lee when they're oh we can't find them but these are the story you know there's there's all those considerations that go into it as well yeah mm. and, I th- and I also just wanted to talk about the the, the women in the OCL curriculum I think you're right like the forefronting of women in the OCL curriculum I think one of the key things as well is the depth of knowledge of the creators of inquiries because one of the things mm. obviously like, I've created a lot of the kind of OCL inquiries and I was listening to a, one of the Empire podcasts today mm. um uh and they were talking about oh these you know, incredible like Mughal women who I learned Shah Jahan's daughter is like yeah, commissioning amazing buildings right women, yeah. um, and there's definitely and I, I think this is just more more broadly maybe for a few so I think like there's definitely like a big piece to do around like 
when we're planning those the research we did was probably based on the most prominent works into it mm. and the time doing it and that means that those lots of those most prominent works aren't maybe newer works that had women featured I, I remember planning the Mughal one and there was this book coming out that was talking about like Mughal like culture in Mughal India and uh, women particularly and it was coming out after I had to have the oh, lessons up for it and that's so this is I'm not trying to do it in defense of OCO history here I think I think you're right about like diversity and, uh, and pushing more um like more women uh, to the forefront of it I think also things like one way I think it, it kind of that does like the industrial revolution I, I, the other thing I wanted to talk about some of the, some of the links potentially we've got like obviously we're doing revolution here um, and we've already seen quite a few revolutions as well so, so I, I like this building on the schema of that that revolution um, if we're thinking about it we've seen things like the Haitian revolution we've seen mm. things like the industrial revolution the French revolution mm. um, we've seen the Russian revolution touched upon mm. in the cost of um, cost of World War and so this is another revolution so in terms of those substantive concepts coming through the schema mm. that students should have for a revolution now is quite quite large and you know this is the second communist revolution we've seen mm. as well which mm. is something nice to um to to draw out on but um yeah and i think i just talking about industrial revolution unit that i think one of the things we want to do more at all it's not just more women in the curriculum but more female historians because that mm. uh inquiry is, is deliberately kind of pushing um and, mm. and says well actually it's not just an inquiry that really focuses on the well partly focuses on the, the lives of um working class women and their different experiences but it's mm. also saying like actually this is it's a female historian writing about it and i think i agree with you there like there's a lot of work to do to make sure we've got that uh yeah diversity in the curriculum that is forefronted and that mm. it's not kind of women always in the background um and i think this unit does that really well by it starts with that story of, of lee when it has a lesson kind of really addressing it um and also, I, I think there's kind of things like, in some ways, it reminds me of the Jared Crusade one, where you know, like the, one of the first people you meet really in that is like Ellen Wilkinson. Yeah, you know, exactly. this like new new MP. It's like, well, we did that kind of like democracy move to democracy at the beginning. Women can now vote and become MPs. Well, here is an actual woman who did become mm. an MP, rather than just leaving it as they can do that, you know, and doing that. Um, but no, yeah, and I think I think it's a kind of a real addition to the the kind of curriculum as well. And um, as you said, it's. Chinese history we've kind of touched uh, like upon throughout yeah. kind of different things we've come to as parts of other inquiries but this is the first time it's uh, like the the forefront and the center of it and it adds that real dimension of obviously one of the, the largest one of the most powerful countries in the world now that otherwise students have only kind of touched upon as being like invaded essentially mm, exactly like, well, we never actually does... it from Chinese perspective before. yeah and, and and doing that which is why I think it's kind of really important um a couple of things uh, I think would be interesting how has your thinking changed since the start of your planning? And obviously, as we're going through, we kind of had loads of kind of conversations as um, mm. as you were planning this. Um, and it has, I think, well, it's been refined and amended. But is there anything that you kind of changed either about the content or about the structure of the inquiry? Um, definitely about the content. And as I said, this is now a 10th year of learning Chinese. So, like, there's quite a lot of, I think, I'm a on the ARC scheme. Um uh, we call it expert induced blindness a lot of that a lot of that <laughs> of just things like sure surely they just understand that and obviously right. they don't um and so luckily quite a lot of that was filtered out in the planning process um where you know if you do plan very meticulously you can see exactly what they need to know in order to get to the next steps and yeah. um there's definitely some remnants of it in there though so like in the women lesson how there's so many examples of how they were oppressed and liberated simultaneously by the revolution um like 
that is a little bit unnecessary um but i just thought oh surely they'd be able to empathize with that very quickly and then empathize right. with that so yeah. one of the main processes in the planning uh was and revisiting my planning was cutting down on material and focusing on one or two key concepts per lesson um uh which yeah really benefited the overall inquiry quite a lot i made a much more streamlined and much more um focused which was really good uh in terms of the structure as well um yeah i think my original plan but in a, in a very similar vein my original plan was to do way more than six lessons um and talk about 1920s china and then the civil war and then 1949 and then all the <laughs> stuff about the revolution and yeah. then the cultural revolution and i was just like i looked at it and i was like well that's a century of history that's, <laughs> yeah that's, that's all of year time. nine covered right <laughs> no, that's, that's genuinely like, yeah. all of year nine and yeah, <laughs> it didn't quite fit in with the rest so putting down on stuff and really getting them excited about one or two key concepts that they can yep. really process and emphasize uh was something that I, yeah oh. was a general process that I woke up to throughout planning. Yeah. And I think actually that, that probably reflects again some OCL planning in general. Like I know from planning the Moogle inquiry and I've talked to people who've planned kind of the various inquiries. When you first plan these, especially when you're focusing on reading, you want mm. to include kind of everything in the reading because you mm. kind of can, even though mm. you know it will take up quite a lot of the lesson. And part of the refinement um, of like year seven and what will be more refined in kind of year eight and year nine things to go through is there's a there's the balance between like the hinterland knowledge mm. um and obviously like the, the the four kind of like forefronted knowledge but then also unnecessary knowledge and, and the boundary between hinterland and actually knowledge that is nice for them to, to have but doesn't actually help focus in the inquiry is quite a fine one mm. you want these really rich worlds for them to live in and you know like some of the micro world building things um which has influenced quite a lot of our curriculum but it is a really fine line and quite a lot of probably the early inquiries feature like great details but too many great details and as you mm. said too many examples of the same thing that means there's a slight lack of focus and that yeah, you're yeah and, and, and there's arguments for keeping that stuff in because then students can choose which which ones to use or mm. exemplify but too much of that does become a problem um and they're, they're kind of too too large uh which i think i yeah agree with you on and also the kind of shorter inquiries uh, we've definitely discussed this i think in like strategy groups and sessions like that mm. but actually the move to shorter inquiries requires a better focus and i think one of the problems i've always wrestled with is i used to plan to a term so i was used to like 12 lesson inquiries and you have these kind of big roman inquiries and then i realized the students are only using maybe four lessons worth of of work in that yeah, and the yeah and then it's like well what was the point in teaching the other stuff is that just all background knowledge and actually it also limits how much you can teach or trying to have this kind of you know we, we've taught we touched on china at least three times mm -hmm. because we've got more inquiries whereas we might never have touched upon china before if we had far fewer inquiries in the rest of year seven and year eight um and you get interesting conversations around like breadth versus depth on that mm -hmm. but actually what it forces you to do is to decide what do I want to teach about mm. China and in this case the communist revolution rather than I just want to teach about China where you and you end up teaching a topic rather than an inquiry and that's I think so that's the key true. thing right when uh, it's oh you go yeah, you go no 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 yeah go, go with no, I was gonna say it's just similar about the whole Lee Wen thing that we talked about before um and how I did think that quite a lot of that could have been of just that unnecessary knowledge of just being like why are we doing Lee Wen that whole sweet potato falling on the floor and freezing thing um just on that border between hinterland and um unnecessary knowledge but so it was so interesting when we went through that and realized that that actually was quite necessary that yeah. first paragraph of world building 
Um, I do you think the structure of anthologies really does highlight what bits are necessary and what bits are unnecessary? Like if there's hinterland at the start, I think normally that's okay. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that I've realised uh, that my planning structure changed uh, throughout writing this inquiry was at the start, if you've got hinterland, normally that's okay because that's world building. But if you've got hinterland throughout the rest of it, I just cut it. Um, and that kind of process was also really quite helpful. And so realising that Lee Wen's sweet potato story yeah no no yeah no and i think i i think i partially disagree with you there that i think it's too much hinterland is that thing like Mm, you you you, because you still want them to be in a world you know and in the world the person was in and sometimes that's not just this happened this happened this happened you know like that that's not how it but as i said like what choosing what details to keep in and what details to put Mm. out and also therefore like you know some things that are really great but don't serve the purpose of the inquiry and things mm-hmm. to cut out i was doing some research into the migration earlier and there was this amazing story to do with the, the migrant who came to britain and it was talking about the king's menagerie and the fact that mm. loads of lions died in 1463 and they represented the strength of the kingdom mm. and that uh, essentially lots of people thought then that you know it's a sign of the waning power of the the king and oh it's like oh kids are going to remember that but so is that is memory. that what I want them to remember? That's probably a bit unnecessary, depending mm. on your focus. And I think that's the key thing. Does it serve the purpose or is it not like that? And I think what hopefully through the refinements and because you, you've actually taught it, like, this as well and refined yeah. it through through some teaching is that that stuff is really focused in in this in, in this in, inquiry, essentially going forward, mm. which is which is yeah, which is really great. Yeah. I think um, key thing people might want to know, obviously, this podcast, obviously, the anthology any one resource that you think helped improve your subject knowledge obviously you've got 10 years doing this and there's a lot of things you've used but what could we direct people to or what could you direct people to to say actually this is probably a place if you want to dive deeper this is your starting point well even though as i said like this is something i know quite a lot about what really helped me focus on what students needed to know and really give a much more um uh, distilled version of Chinese history was Chinese A-level uh, history textbooks. Sorry, I need to rephrase that. It's history A-level <laughs> textbooks that focus right. on Chinese history. Uh, so the Edexcel history A-level uh, course has a China module on it. Um, and that was just amazing because it really, in a bullet point fashion, outlined um, modern, uh, well, just communist, early modern uh, communist Chinese history um in a really neat fashion and i was like wow that is yeah. <laughs> that is how i essentially want to convey the knowledge of uh modern china to these students uh and obviously it's a level so i wouldn't use like loads of it but just the way it described it was very useful so uh the edxl a level history textbooks was like really really important um similarly youtube is a tricky one where youtube uh often gets Chinese history a bit it's not this historically rigorous um, <laughs> version of Chinese history but sometimes it is good if you've ri- literally never studied Chinese history before um, there are quite a lot of good uh, YouTube video explainers uh, crash course history for example uh, I'd say it's it's video is one of the better primers for uh, overall Chinese history um, and so yeah YouTube can be good but I'd definitely say uh, textbooks uh, for A-level material for Chinese history were just absolutely amazing because it just details exactly what you need to know. Yeah, no, I think it's helpful. And also, I, th- I think 
weirdly I had like reaction against textbooks for the past I don't know four years I'm like oh they're rubbish and terrible and actually just I think that depends on the textbook you know and that some of them have really good things in that Mm -hmm. you can use as your baseline especially A level back to GCSE as you said it doesn't have to be as in quite depth but it means that you are coming from a point of greater depth rather Mm -hmm. than the depth that students are at so I think that's a nice nice recommendation for it right well Josh thank you for explaining this uh, inquiry to us Uh, and uh, people hope you enjoy teaching it